0: RunAsRadio.com. You're listening to Run As Radio, the internet audio talk show for IT professionals with Richard Campbell. This is Brandon Wen announcing show number eight fifty four, Azure vs. AWS billing with guest Corey Quinn. Recorded Wednesday, October twenty sixth, two thousand twenty two. Run As Radio is produced each week by Sound Thoughts LLC. For more information, visit SoundThoughtsLLC.com. You can follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash runasradio.
1: Hi, this is Richard Campbell, and thanks for listening to Run As Radio. My guest today is Corey Quinn, the Chief Cloud Economist at the Duckbill Group, where he specializes in helping companies improve their AWS bills by making them smaller and less horrifying. He also hosts the Screaming in the Cloud and AWS Morning Brief podcast and curates Last week in AWS, a weekly newsletter summarizing the latest in AWS news, blogs, and tools sprinkled with snark, lots of snark, and thoughtful analysis in roughly equal measure. Welcome back, friend. It is a pleasure,
0: and it has been far too long. It's oh. sort of the, I guess, the, the outgrowth of the pandemic mm. means that we only ever talk to people now through very constrained virtual Environments where you're literally and figuratively in a box, yeah. which makes it way harder to do my job of pouring six drinks into someone and then getting them to tell me what they really think.
1: <laughs> aren't you getting out a little more? Aren't they? My, Amazon's starting to do events and things, aren't they? They are,
0: and it's nice to be out talking to human beings again. Mm. But over a two and a half year basic uh, streak of not doing these things in person, I'd forgotten so
1: much of it, and I yeah. didn't.
0: Really remember how grueling some of them are.
1: Well, I feel like we're worse at it, for starters. Like, definitely, I put in a 200,000-mile flying year, and uh, boy, I'm feeling it. But also, we're all a bit clumsy. I I think everybody's just a little more uncomfortable, a little less – we're a little out of practice. I mean, I think we're all pretty patient with each other, more or less. But, uh, yeah, it's not like it's going to go back the way it was.
0: Sometimes the problem is in person, you forget that you're not on a Zoom call. Right. And you you wind up like basically clicking, like, absolutely trying to click a button and turn to someone else. Like, hang on, I'll talk to you. And this bloviated jackhole stops yapping. Like, oh, wait, that's in person. I can't get away with that.
1: <laughs> Did I say that out loud? Yeah. Like, yeah. I, just, I keep trying to hit the mute button, but it doesn't work. No, the mute, mute button is
0: actually the person's nose. You have to hit it kind of hard. <laughs> uh, hard. That enough, was a joke. Do not assault people. I no, feel the no, need given some folks on the internet to clarify that that was not serious. No,
1: no, no. Don't hit anybody. That's not a good thing. So how is AWS world? I don't spend a lot of time there, but, you know, I watch your tweets with much glee.
0: You must be so happy not having to deal with AWS world the way that I do. It feels like most people are, are living better versions of themselves than I am.
1: But clearly, you know, it's not like the cloud isn't growing. It's an endless process here, right? The migration continues.
0: I'd say that cloud is one of those areas where at least... Based upon the current state of earnings, I should call out that before we get into this, as of now, Azure and Google have released their quarterly numbers. Mm -hmm. AWS has not. So it's entirely possible that I'm about to be eating a whole bunch of crow between now and publication. But my theory has been for a while that there is almost nothing that AWS could do in the short to medium term that would result in a year-over-year Decline in AWS revenue.
1: Yeah, that seems impossible. And it's just it's just so the question instead is all about growth rates.
0: Well, are they growing as fast as Wall Street analysts expect? And <laughs> maybe, maybe not. We I have no idea or insight into that, but I do know for a fact that in AWS land and in GCP land as well, mm-hmm. when companies intentionally decide to invest in lowering their AWS bill, it's still a very tricky thing to do do. a year later most of our clients are spending more on AWS than they were when we worked with them the, right. the difference is is that they've cut out a lot of craft and that growth
1: represents growth in their business right so they're they're getting more as well exactly
0: as and more. when you're doing saAS and whatnot it's okay we're, we're paying more on the AWS bill so a lot of automated tools have a frowny face when that happens it's what are you talking about that that's because their business is going yeah. like gangbusters business it's is good. there's a model of unit economics at play here it's yes it you can reduce your AWS bill build a zero by turning everything off mostly, but your business is going to have some
1: challenges. Without a doubt. And it also, you're getting rid of that panic. You know, I've spent all, many years operating infrastructure for folks. And so as they were growing, it's like the servers are at their limits, friends. We have to get more gear and it's an eight week lead time. So, you know, we try and project in the future that that was coming and then try and scramble for enough rack space and like, I think this new way is better, where I can just buy more and have a larger bill that month.
0: I love the idea. Um, on some level, one of the big lies that COVID wound up exposing hmm. is one that an awful lot of customers tell, primarily to themselves, hmm. that, oh, yeah, we're, we're auto-scaling. Well, okay, your user traffic dropped off a cliff, and your infrastructure spend didn't waver an inch. So, okay. Yeah. Turns out when you say auto-scaling, you mean can scale up. Yeah. Scaling down is yeah, it's less interesting. It's less impressive for those folks. It's not it's the right business decision, to be clear. If you fail to scale up, you're turning customers away. You fail to scale down, it's only money, yeah. which is a really
1: weird thing to say, but also true. I mean, isn't this the this is the great reporting problem? Like what's the cost per transaction? The we get these massive bills from our cloud providers, but they rarely You can you line up what you're spending versus what you're making. I mean, you give you the overall number, but I love this idea that a our cost of cost per customer transaction went up this month because the number of customers went down and we didn't scale down
0: exactly. And I have an awful lot of empathy for that. Mm -hmm. One thing that I find kind of weird is that I was looking at. One of the statements that came out of, I believe it was Satya Nadella said this, that they are predicting a slowdown in cloud spend. Now I have been since corrected since a small Twitter thread that I did on it. Mm -hmm. Whereas what he was actually saying and was misquoted on was that there's a slowdown in cloud growth, which, okay, I can absolutely accept that for a variety of reasons, but a, a pullback in spend where quarter, one quarter to the next Azure makes less money like that is ridiculous and unheard of and i cannot understand how that might work
1: yeah and i don't i wonder i mean i saw that quote too and it literally like we're recording this last week of october and that quote was the same like the past day or two admittedly we're publishing a couple of weeks later uh and he was just talking about a, a slowdown in growth not actually making not make not growing just not growing quite as quickly which I think is kind of fair because the pandemic growth was uh, exuberant, right? Like that was panic growth where people had to move workloads or they weren't going to be able to do any work at all. Now it's just starting to slow off. Although as soon as he said that, Microsoft's stock took a kick. Like CEOs can't say anything but sunshine and not get punished for it.
0: On some level, you also have to wonder how much the day-to-day movement of the stock price actually impacts their reality. Right. Because right now we're seeing a market-wide pullback. and Okay, great. Valuations have been a little ridiculous, and it turns out that things do not grow infinitely up and to the right forever. There are population limits, if nothing else. But it is interesting watching the coverage. I still think it's a little... Strange. In fact, more than a little strange. It is wildly strange to me that they do not break out Azure revenues as distinct from Intelligent Cloud. Obvious joke aside about the presence of Intelligent Cloud suggests <laughs> that a moron cloud is somewhere else. Yes,
1: there. that is the implication, isn't it? But I, and I also find this fairly consistent across all of the tech giants is that they really kind of hide their numbers. It's hard to know, you know, where the real growth is, what it is. They combine things that are beneficial to them, not necessarily beneficial to the shareholder.
0: Oh, and you can never tell by what they talk about on stage. Take yeah. AWS. By every metric I've got, EC2 is still a majority of spend. But look how little airtime that gets compared to machine learning and big data yeah. and all the other things that they really want people to pay attention to. It's focused on new customers.
1: Yeah, they want to talk about what they want you to buy next, not what you're buying today. Exactly. Do you mind if I hijack your show for a second? To, to- it wouldn't be the first time, Corey, and it's part of the reason I like talking to you.
0: Oh, good. I want to clarify uh, some things I've been saying mm, for the past few months, specifically Mm -hmm. around Azure. They had a terrible year, give or take, where there were a number of, frankly, disappointing cross-tenant vulnerabilities where one customer could theoretically or actually access data belonging to a different customer. Now, this is bad, but security vulnerabilities happen. I Mm -hmm. get it. I'm not sitting here trying to beat up the people building these things. For me, what's really annoyed me is how tight-lipped Microsoft has been around talking about any of this, about what they're doing systematically to fix a lot of these things. And most recently, they wound up reporting a disclosure that was made about an open uh, Azure bucket equivalent. I forget the exact terminology because I don't play in those waters very
1: much. Yeah, endpoint, I think the term they used.
0: Uh, yeah, it was it was uh, I want to say it was sock radar that found it. And Microsoft put out a a post that could only be described as defensive, blaming them for how they wound up addressing it and what they should have done instead. And it's talk about attempting to shoot the messenger. It felt crappy and like they were punching down. So, I've been basically making fun of Azure for a couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. And I worry on some level that that is going to be interpreted as me saying that uh, everyone who works there is terrible or they don't know what they're doing. The engineers who work there have forgotten more about this stuff than I'll know on my best day. Sure. It, that is absolutely not what I'm saying at all, but it's the blaming the customers and not getting a strong message out. It makes it very hard for me to intelligently and thoughtfully recommend Azure for some workloads. I was asked by a client yesterday what I thought about Azure and I wound up giving them a very direct feedback, and they said, well, we we have some stuff on there. There's not much we can do. Right. And I, I pointed out that I'm not here to make them feel bad about being Azure customers, but in their shoes, I would absolutely want to get better stories from Microsoft to help me understand that, because we can talk about bills all we want, but if the security is not baked into it, it brings absolutely everyone down, because- Customers generally are not sophisticated and nuanced around these things. It's not Azure security is crappy, so I'm going to AWS. It's, oh, cloud is crappy. We're going to build more data centers. So it's like the groundhog saw his data breach shadow and we get six more years of data center.
1: And the sad part is that Microsoft really invented the modern reporting strategy in a lot of ways. Like they dove in headfirst into that 20 years ago. It used yeah. to be the reference for how you reported a vulnerability and treatment of a breach and so forth and it seems in the past few years they've just faded off i i don't know if all those guys retired or there's political pressure now but the vulnerabilities happen that's fine but the response center reports have got to be better than this they they used to be better than this you used to know exactly what you needed to know from that report including how You know, how it was being mitigated, where current state was, like, they were impressive, but they just haven't been recently.
0: I also want to call out something that I'm not convinced is super well understood by people who are more heavily in the Microsoft slash Azure ecosystem. I tend to live in a somewhat cloud-native world when I'm I'm working with cloud. I don't tend to build things these days that are, well, I'm going to put a whole bunch of virtual machines up there and treat it like my data center. Not that that's an invalid approach for a lot of workloads, but when you're starting from Greenfield in 2022, that's generally not what you do. For one of those apps, I am an Azure customer, and I'll hasten to add a happy one. Mm -hmm. I think that it is a travesty that the service in question that I'm using is not talked about constantly, but it feels like a ghost town, I, I, I wonder, did I fall into some parallel universe or am I accidentally breaking an NDA I didn't know exist by talking about a service that is available for sale in their console? Uh, and that is specifically their computer vision API under oh, yeah. the cognitive services umbrella. It is amazing and head and shoulders above the competition.
1: Yeah, and, and I don't think it's hidden, but it's certainly not marketed by Microsoft. I think partly, partly because it just works and people are using it. What I'm using it for
0: specifically is I occasionally write Twitter threads because I have personality problems. Mm -hmm. And when I do (laughs) that, I started building a crappy version of something that became a better version of a Twitter client that's free for anyone to use. Last tweet in AWS.com. You go there, it asks you to authenticate with Twitter. Go for it. And then it gives you a Twitter authoring thread machine. Right. And that's great accessibility is super important and that's something that i don't think a lot of companies have really come to terms with Mm -hmm. and i use a lot of images when i'm doing a live tweet thread but i'm not gonna take the time to sit there and transcribe the slide that i'm currently in the process of live tweeting it just doesn't happen i've tried before and it fails and it leaves me in the circumstance of either well the hell with accessibility or completely derailing the thing i set out to do neither one of which is okay Right. No one else offers this, but using the computer vision API, it can send every image at upload and almost instantaneously get back a description of what's in the image Mm -hmm. and the way that I set it up on my end, if it has certain keywords or if I force it, it can also attempt to do OCR on that image and it just works. It is phenomenal. No one else in any of the other hyperscale cloud providers that I have seen offers anything remotely close to this
1: it's and it's the classic platform play right it's just a tool that works in the back end you pay for utilization and that's it like it's kind of trivial and when it and it works well enough you start to forget the magic that's going on
0: and that is sort of what i want to get into with you mm-hmm. specifically because okay great the rest of this infrastructure generally doesn't cost me anything. We're talking a few tens of cents a month, despite right. the fact that it is deployed to 20 AWS regions simultaneously, and then load balance of the closest thing to you winds up uh, responding. Having to build my own CI CD system on top of GitHub actions for that was kind of wild. <laughs> so that's great. And that's out there. But I did not know how much this thing would cost me.
1: The QP vision part.
0: Exactly. They have multiple pricing tiers at which point per million requests, it costs X or Y or Z. I'm in the currently the free pricing tier or F zero, depending upon who it is that I'm talking to. Right. And I still had absolutely no earthly idea what my bill was going to be at the end of it. The only way that I could figure it out was, well, I'm going to run it for a few months and looking at the cost per request. if, If everyone starts using this, Okay, maybe it'll accidentally surprise me and cost me a couple hundred bucks. It has yet to charge me a single dime, though it did require me to upgrade my account, which is fine, but it's the not knowing and not being able to contextualize anything I read from the pricing perspective that is super weird to me. Yeah. Because despite my lengthy list of grievances about AWS billing, their pricing pages do list out all of the dimensions and when you are charged on those dimensions. Which is ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. Let's not kid ourselves here. Mm-hmm.
1: But, I mean, the billing for computer vision is pretty straightforward, isn't it? It's per transaction, you know, rates drop as the numbers go up. And uh, depending on the kind of recognition you're doing, it's a different price versus OCR or, or object recognition.
0: Exactly. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And I would expect that this would be the machine learning use case that more companies talk about. Instead, they get on stage and talk about the deep algorithms and all the stuff that your data scientists and machine learning engineers can work on. Whereas what I'm asking for is basically hot dog or not hot dog.
1: Right. (laughs) But as long as you get the transaction count, you've got a pretty good idea of what it is. Do they not and there's no concept of a rolling balance with Azure. Like you only find out at the end of the month when the reconciliation comes what they've charged. They're not going to show you what you've done so far.
0: You you could say differently about AWS but the honest truth is it's kind of like that too. It, right. It's billing system attempts to work on an 8 hour eventual consistency model in right. practice. Good luck if you can get it to within 72 hours. So it's come back in a few days and see what the actual cost was Maybe, but yeah. you can see it as you go.
1: That's fair. And Corey, i interrupt for one moment for this very important message. This episode of Run-As is brought to you by the Azure Data Conference at the MGM Grand Hotel in Las Vegas, December 4th to 9th. You've heard the data Q&A shows published on run twice a week from the conference. That is a microcosm of the six days of fantastic learning available to you from the real-world consultants and members of the Azure Data team that speak at the show. Learn proven problem-solving techniques and technologies you can implement immediately and gain insight into Microsoft's data strategies for the cloud and on-premises. Get answers to performance monitoring, troubleshooting, designing for scale and performance, working in the cloud, and exploring all the new features of the latest versions of Azure Data and Microsoft SQL Server. And if you still have questions by the end of the week, join the conference's closing session and be part of the Data Q&A show on Run-As Radio. The Azure Data Conference is at the MGM Grand Hotel in Las Vegas, Nevada, December 4th to 9th. Use code RUNAS to get a discount on your registration at azuredataconf.com and I'll see you there. And we're back. It's RUNAS Radio. I'm Richard Campbell. That's Corey Quinn from uh, This Week in AWS. Now, I generally only look at my a, my Azure bill when they send me an email saying your Azure bill is ready. Please look at it.
0: Well, the challenge here is forget the bill at the end of the month. It's going Mm -hmm. to be fine. But I'm looking at right now the Microsoft Computer Vision API pricing. And I believe since the last time I looked at this, it the page has changed again. Mm -hmm. So awesome. It is a free tier for 20 per minute transactions per second with a 5,000 transactions free per month. Great. Then there's the S1 tier web slash container $1 pay as you go. And it's then a dollar per thousand transactions for the first one to a million. I'm I'm assuming that I will not exceed 5 million lookups, in which case we have a different problem here. Right. And, but it is not at all clear since I'm in the free tier option for this, what happens when I hit that limit? Do, Do I suddenly start getting billed? Does it just slam to a halt until I walk in and upgrade something manually? And, Further, looking down the free tier versus the S1 web container thing, it has different—under the S1 option, has a whole bunch of different features listed out, like OCR and image detection and describe, which is what I use, Right. which apparently that one costs $2.50 per thousand transactions, but whatever. Is that stuff included in the free tier or not? Well, let's try it and see. Apparently it is, but it was incredibly confusing in— in a sense that there was no way for me to figure it out without actually building something first. Right. Like my scale, whatever, I don't care about any reasonable outcome here as far as what that would cost. But there are folks for whom at significant scale, you kind of have to know the answer to this in advance.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, and, and part of this would just be setting limits saying go ahead and run this but when you hit this dollar amount stop i kind of think that if you hit that five thousand free transactions in a month they're just going to warn you you've hit the limit they're not actually going to stop you
0: the piece that also confuses me more than almost anything else with azure pricing doesn't show up in the current free tier structure that i have in my account because Mm -hmm. it's great i'm using it on demand i pay for what i use at the end of the month great that is how cloud generally works to my understanding when I talk to customers of mine who have significant Azure workloads in virtually every case, it's either through a reseller or it's through a enterprise agreement. It, it all looks more or less like an extension of software assurance. Right. I assume with your audience, I need not explain what software no, assurance is. All. That's a Microsoft thing because I had to have it explained to me the other day <laughs> before I understood what the heck someone was talking about. Yeah.
1: Well, and and what's fascinating is whenever you're talking to a Microsoft, the vast majority of Microsoft people, when you get into the subject, say, hey, I'm not a billing or licensing expert. And I'm like, but who is? I don't know that anybody is. I've never had someone say, well, I am a billing and licensing expert. And let me tell you how it's going to work.
0: Honestly, I am of the opinion that anyone who presents themselves as a billing expert in cloud is attempting to sell you something. <laughs> Wait, that's you. (laughs) Well, well, people have credibly accused me of being one of the world's best experts at AWS billing. And I I don't, I'm not going to dispute and argue with them. I find that people give you a compliment. The only correct answer is to say thank you and then immediately change the subject. Right. But uh, generally speaking, experts don't consider themselves experts. Like just the other day, I had to backtrack on something I told a client because it turned out I was wrong about a billing thing. Right. Yeah, that happens sometimes. Shocking.
1: And it it may have been right when you originally said it and then it changed or you may have misinterpreted. Like it's hard to know. These are moving targets. You just called it out just now when we were looking at the computer vision thing. The page is different than the last time you looked at it.
0: Every time you look at these things, something has changed. And that that is sort of the nature of cloud. Things that you have taken for granted do not Tend do not make any promises of being the same interface at least the next time you see it. Right. I will say something that both AWS and Microsoft have gotten very right on this is they understand the process of enterprise deprecation. Whereas Google just does not seem to get that to save their lives.
1: (laughs) I'm not gonna argue with you.
0: We've we've decided to do something else.
1: Yep. Oh, and if you were using it, yeah, you can't use it anymore. Sorry. You have thirty days to comply. Yeah, I mean, typically, it seems like Microsoft never takes anything away, or they deprecate very slowly. They send you a lot of warnings about this thing or that thing before they turn anything off. I've also found the monthly emails telling me all the changes do not help me. Like, you can't read them. Like, I guarantee you the update to computer vision pricing was in an email somewhere. I just don't know where. Yeah,
0: I don't believe there was any actual pricing change. I think the way they talk about it and the way it's presented on the webpage has changed, they but I do not believe that there's been a pricing change to be, to be very clear on that point.
1: Right. You think it's the same price. It's just it's I got organized. Differently. As best
0: I can tell, I'm still in the free tier and they haven't built me anything yet. Right. I keep worrying that if I continue to mouth off about, uh, Azure and its shortcomings, that I'm going to run into what appear to be the position that a lot of Microsoft partners and large customers have is, well, we can't afford to say anything negative about Microsoft in public, or they could absolutely make life super difficult for us. Ah. In my case, it's, oh, no, I hope they don't jack up the price of my Office 365 subscription at renewal time, which is currently a few hundred bucks for the company every year.
1: And I just don't see Microsoft that way at all.
0: No, I don't either. I see old Microsoft like that. Don't uh, get me wrong. Large enterprises, the the software audits of yesteryear and the rest in the early 2000s, late 90s, sure. But I'm not sitting here shaking my fist at the Microsoft of yore.
1: Yeah, no. And And there's no person involved in billing out your computer vision utilization. Like nobody's touched it. I don't know that anybody could. Like all of this stuff is so highly automated now. I don't know if there's any way to mess with it.
0: Oh, never doubt the ability to mess with someone's bill when it comes to anything (laughs) remotely resembling a cloud environment.
1: I mean, other than forgiving overcharges because you've got to turn stuff off. I mean, how many memes have we seen about a Saturday going, wow, did I shut down my AW instances or not?
0: What I'm trying to understand and figure out about the entire Microsoft Azure ecosystem has been that I do not see significant web properties living on Azure at a rate that I would expect for the number two cloud provider, given the market figures that Gartner puts out among others. Those folks know what they're about when they're doing analyses on these things. So I'm wondering what those workloads are. When Azure takes an outage, I see websites still up. People's SharePoint servers falling into disarray on the back office side of things is it something else? Or is it a matter of committed spend that's part of their software assurance stuff that comes with a bunch of Azure stuff that may or may not be being used? With the lack of visibility into Azure's revenues, it is very hard for me to know in any direction. I tend to be a cynic.
1: Yeah, and I I do think that Microsoft specifically has a massive presence in the back end of those big companies. And so that outage impacted sites that are only visible within the company. Mm -hmm. Like the sheer amount of internal apps that these big companies build and where they run, I think that's a huge chunk of Azure spend, and we just don't see it. So the outage certainly impacted the company, but it wasn't publicly visible.
0: One of the things that I just don't fully understand across all of this as well is how much on the licensing side – you need to pre-plan your usage because we do see this on the AWS side and the GCP side, mm-hmm. where you get contractual discounts in return for agreeing to spend a certain amount of money over a certain time frame. Mm-hmm. That is really as close as it gets to committed spend over a fixed period of time. And in the event that companies don't hit that during, oh, I don't know, a global pandemic, generally speaking, right. they just add a token amount to it and extend that over another year or two to let them hit those numbers. Whereas it seems that through the software assurance story, you are prepaying for one or three years, depending upon how you go about that, uh, for a certain number of seats. And if I could accurately predict cloud spend over that time frame for anything other than a trivial site i'm having a great day just because it depends so much depends i can't see the future
1: yeah and i I mean for the most part they just simply advocate hey you only pay for what you use so you know we they don't really think in terms of uh it's it, that we're gonna you're gonna prepay for anything they don't. and i've seen aws do this where it's like you can take low priority workloads and and, and that kind of work, I don't see Azure doing a lot of that. But Azure, Microsoft also has that other revenue stream, which is their volume license agreement.
0: And that's a revenue stream and a model that does not, frankly, exist in the AWS or Google ecosystems, other than through Microsoft and Oracle, where you, mm-hmm. and probably SAP as well, but I tend not to play in those waters much either, where... Licensing is not a component of the AWS bill, other than is it bring your own license for an instance, or is it you wind up buying it from AWS and it comes with an attendant license for it. In Microsoft land, there is so much of that that is nuanced and challenging, and I have zero faith in my ability to look at an environment and say, oh yeah, you're totally in compliance with the terms of the license. That's what I mean when I right. say I would not look at an Azure bill for a client without a lawyer or two on my side with experience <laughs> in these spaces, just because the risks of getting it wrong are significant. In the AWS space, it's okay, I get something wrong. It's they wind up buying the wrong reservation, which can be unwound if I eat a lot of crow or, right. okay, I suggest it would save them money if they made a change. It turned out they didn't which has not happened, but it's theoretically possible. Okay, great. I can find ways to make that right in a variety of ways. The licensing piece, that is where it gets into some pretty shaky territory, at least for me.
1: Yeah. And it's typically, it's not typically bundled directly with Azure until you get into the M365 stuff. Like I think all of this is in flux. We just had Ignite where they made more announcements around this. But the volume license agreement stuff is archaic, right? That is old Microsoft. And it got, you always got into that battle of, so what am I buying this year for the same giant pile of money, as opposed to this OPEX month-to-month what-you-use model. So I don't know if VLA is going to go away. I can't imagine Microsoft wanting to go away. People still pay for Windows. And I don't know how much of that can be turned into part of the Azure bill.
0: Neither do I. Mm-hmm. It's It's just wild to me. I don't pretend to understand how so much of this works. But it also is one of those areas where it's complicated. I also have to point out that I also don't do work on GCP bills. This is not right. out of a position of bias. Oh, I am better than that. Hmm. It's that the broader you get as a small boutique consultancy and start branching out in other directions, you blunt your entire marketing message. I am sure. the person to go to for the horrifying AWS bill. Right. Full stop. As soon as it's okay, or other cloud bills as well. And then it drifts into the actual core of my skill set, which is great. I'm technically a cloud architect and I'm the best cloud architect elsewhere. Well, I'm competing with 15 people within shouting distance at the moment. Right. And companies like Accenture or Deloitte are going to outspend me with marketing budget by mm, the GDP of a mid-sized country. So, okay. (laughs) Being more narrowly focused is an intentional decision. Yeah. I'm also not trying to do the hyper growth thing. I don't need every AWS customer in the world beating a path to my door. But I do see people with AWS billing problems way more than I have historically with other cloud providers. Nowadays, of course, that means nothing just because of the waters I swim in.
1: Right, yeah, a, I think that's just a filter. I think everybody has troubles with their billing one way or the other. There's just only so many core Quinns to go around.
0: Thankfully for everyone.
1: <laughs> Mostly you, I suspect, but it's a, it's a fair assessment and it is a complicated uh, part of the equation. It's also a constantly moving target. I think Microsoft has staffed up Far more with their cloud advocates and fast track groups, so that really I think a lot of the customers turn to Microsoft themselves for working on their bills and doing optimization and architecture. Um, less so than I think with AWS. I would agree. Yeah, it's a different. It's a different marketplace in that respect. But it
0: feels like it's much more corporate IT.
1: Well. Oddly enough, as much as I think Microsoft sometimes pretends they don't want to be, this is where they seem to succeed.
0: The weird thing to me is every provider seems to be focusing on this, where they're talking about, oh, migrate your existing data centers or your mainframes into our cloud. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I get there's big money there right now. Yeah, But there's a limited number of companies like that compared to the theoretical uncapped upside of those really interesting companies to me are the ones that have not yet been founded. What are the next workloads going to be? And it feels like everyone is basically ignoring that story by and large in the marketing materials and the keynote stuff, chasing next quarter's numbers by getting big E enterprise companies to sign ludicrous levels of commit that are wildly optimistic timelines, which again, not always a bad idea. It helps plant a flag internally to start getting momentum, but it's also something that seems a
1: little unrealistic. I think it's also a gold rush mentality. Th- this migration's only going to last so long before everything is already in the cloud or the new stuff's going to cloud by default.
0: Or you're also going to see a point where, okay, great. Well, there's still X percent of workloads that have not migrated to cloud mm-hmm. and won't. Yeah. For a variety of reasons. There are so many workloads out there that I think would be a terrific fit in cloud if it were not for the egregious egress fees charged by all of the hyperscale providers, I am not calling any one company out because they're all, all three of the big ones are terrible. It is wild to me and also true to say that one of the best deals in egress pricing is Oracle Cloud. It is less than 10% of AWS's egress fees. And <laughs> I know I'm recommending an Oracle product. I'm I, as surprised as, are as anyone you? else. <laughs> But their free tier is legitimate. It has never charged me a dime. Right. And the offerings that I have used have been uniformly great. And they're always free tiers. And their data transfer pricing is the real deal. Right. For that, for those use cases, it's not a terrible direction to look in. But if you're trying to build the next Netflix or the next Twitch or something like that, even Twitch recently had a... CEO letter on their blog for, uh, that was defending their 50-50 revenue split, as opposed to a more traditional, they take a 30% cut. Right. Saying, that, well, on AWS's IVS, Interactive Video Service, the pricing on this would be ridiculous. And which I just found hilarious because two years beforehand, when that service came out, I used Twitch's numbers to say, this is what Twitch would pay at this point. And that's right. It's more than their entire acquisition price on an annual basis. They are <laughs> clearly not doing
1: this. Yeah, they're not going to do It's also
0: yeah. wild to hear one Amazon company say, oh, yeah, we, we have to charge more because uh, the AWS bill
1: is ridiculous. Yeah, the, the other part of our Amazon company is killing us.
0: When I am the chief marketing officer for AWS, we will not have sister companies at under the same Amazon umbrella be making statements like that. I'm still <laughs> mounting my campaign to be the next chief marketing officer of AWS.
1: I th- I'd vote for you. Not that I have a vote. I really appreciate that you take all the clouds out for a spin, Corey. Like, that's fun. And uh, I'm sure con- con- concerning. Do you lose track of where you put your stuff?
0: Not really. I have notes on that for one. Honestly, the biggest problem I have is not, oh, did I put that on Google or did I put that on AWS? It's which AWS account and which AWS region of that account was it in? That is absolutely (laughs) nightmarish. (laughs) And the fact that there is no good answer to track that other than I've got some notes is awful.
1: Yeah. You know, we got the same, we call over on the Microsoft world, we call it tenant-itis. For M three sixty five, like where which tenant is that inside of? And by the way, which tenant am I currently logged into? This is incredibly hard to tell.
0: Yeah, I don't think there's an answer.
1: No, and it's and it's interesting that they we I also really appreciate when you and I get together and go, oh wow, same problem on all the other clouds too, huh? That's cool. So you got tenant problems over in the AWS land. We got tenant problems over on Azure land. Always fun to talk to your friend.
0: No one's happy. That's the thing about clouds. Is great. I'm just going to wind up trading some existing problems I have in response. In return for a whole different set of problems, right? But again, for some folks, the the problem the cloud solves, and I'm not judging them on this one at all, is we really suck at hard drive replacement,
1: right? Or just right. hardware maintenance. Full stop, right? We, we still, I'm still seeing companies coming up on their five year lifespans of a set of hardware, and the CF going, "Why are we buying more hardware? Why isn't this workload in the cloud?" And we just have to go through the justification process, or move the workload. And, and that's just, I think that's going to keep happening for the foreseeable future anyway. Yeah. I don't
0: pretend to know what the future holds. No. It's just going
1: to be weird. I'm going to keep writing it. Corey, it's always fun to talk to you. Thanks so much for spending some time with us today.
0: Thank you for engaging
1: my ongoing love affair with the sound of my own voice. Yeah. And it's always a pleasure to talk. I'm you. here to serve friend. And we'll talk to you next time on run as radio.